Thanks, uh, Josh and team. If, if you're newer to our church, Josh is uh, on our elder board. Uh, if you're new to kind of Christianity or, or this whole thing, uh, it's, it's the highest leadership team here at our church. Um, just appreciate your leadership, Josh. Uh, today and next week, we're going to just do a two-week uh, series here. I don't know if you call it a series, a two-part uh, sermon thing on uh, serving. Uh, sacrificial service or serving sacrificially, however you want to say it. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast, you, you can't see what's up here in front. And if you are in the back, you may not be able to see it. But we've got um, our huge John Deere mower up here in the front, right in front of the church. And uh, we're going to be talking about that here in a few moments. Um, but as we begin, I, I want to kind of set the stage for how this sermon series came about a couple years ago, two or three years ago, we were talking as a leadership team, the, the staff and the elders about, hey, what, what is this philosophy of ministry, our, our vision and a mission and, and the values and just the, the, what we call the operating principles, the, the laws like we shall be this and we shall do this and we shall not do that. And one of the things that came up was this conversation about where does where does volunteer fit in, serving fit in, service? Like, how do you do this? And, and we came up with this statement that was part of our operating principles that said this, that we will call people to sacrificial service unabashedly, without reservation. And uh, it was one of these statements that we kind of worked through, and, and, and you know, it brought up things that I'd never thought of. And... And we're going to get into that in a second. And what kind of sparks this sermon as well is the fact that we're, we're finally coming through COVID. Um, and this summer, obviously, is opening up. And uh, things could possibly turning more towards normalcy. And, and, and the question I think we're starting to wrestle with is, okay, so what's next? And what do we do? And, um, and as I reflected over COVID, I mean, this is not rocket science. This conversation I've had with you, it's what we've seen. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that was hard about it, but there was something that happened there that was hard, and yet it turned out to be something that was possibly actually really a blessing, and it was how everything got canceled. Uh, and things that we would never have imagined would ever possibly be canceled were canceled, shut down, like sports, the God of sports was humbled by COVID, brought to its knees. Hollywood brought to its knees. It was beautiful, right? Theater shut down, not producing garbage. It was just beautiful. No longer them, whatever. I'm not going to go into that. Sorry, it's not about... Um, the God of living through our children's future was canceled. You couldn't live out the dreams of your child becoming a professional sports star or artist or whatever. It was all shut down. Not to say that it's wrong to achieve and all that. But you get what I mean, right? How it has become a God. The God of hurry. The God of busyness, like we got to go, 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 and we're worshiping all these gods, and, and we don't even know why we're doing it as a culture, and then they finally, like you don't think anybody could ever stop these gods, and they were all humbled, canceled, and we started looking around somewhere in the fall going, this isn't bad, 
this is kind of nice. And then we started making vows like, well, I'm not doing that again. I'll never do that again. Because now that it's stopped and the government made us stop and we had permission to go, eh, not our fault. They told us to. And then we're at this place now, and I've had conversations with so many of you going, I'm, I'm not doing that again. Fill in the blank, right? I, I'll never go back to that again. Been there, done that, won't do it again. And so we're, we're starting to make vows. We're starting to to look at that and overcorrect and steer over here and go, I'll never and I won't. And so the question is, we're coming into the summer where there's a collective breath that we're taking and realizing the fall could, could somewhat be back to normal in some whatever ways and who knows the future and, and I'm no prophet. I don't know what all is going to happen. But the question I, I'm, I think we're all starting to wrestle with is... Uh, what gets back in? What, or maybe a better way to say it, what must we do again? What don't we have to do, but what must we do? As we answer that question, I want to I focus in on, a, on an aspect of identity. And we talk a lot about identity here. As, as when, when someone starts to follow Jesus, if, if you have said with, with faith, in faith, believing the truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior, your Lord and Savior, and you believe in your heart and you've confessed that out loud, you follow Jesus, in that moment, Jesus says, I am giving you, I'm making you a new creation. I'm giving you a new identity. And there's all kinds of aspects to this identity now with someone who follows Jesus, and, and we actually have worship songs. Identity is a big deal right now, right? In culture, culture says, go create your own identity. You can make your own identity, live it out, just be true to yourself, and so then people do that, and, it, and, and that's a whole nother message about how hard that is to live out, because it's up to us to create it, it's up to maintain it, it's us to broadcast it, and, and to keep it going, and keep it shiny, and keep it all fancy and whatever. The problem is, over time, it just doesn't work that way, and it leaves us on the back end feeling empty, depressed, discouraged, defeated, what, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but it falls apart. The, the great thing about an identity that God gives us is he's the one that maintains it, he's the one that keeps it shiny, he's the one that keeps it fresh, keeps it new, and it's not up to us. And he comes to us in that moment when we place our faith in him, and he says, you are now this is your identity. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. You are a chosen one of God. You are redeemed. You are a co-heir with Christ. And you listen to all the worship songs that are out there and how many of them talk about identity because identity is a big thing right now. People are looking for identity. You know, as you sing those songs and you look through the list, there, there's one aspect of our identity in Christ that we don't talk a lot about. And it's this identity as servant. I'm a servant of Jesus. 
And in a few moments, I'm gonna ask you to say this. And, and to say it in faith, standing on the truth of it and embracing the identity of it, but I'm gonna ask you to say out loud, I'm a servant of Christ, if, if, you, have, if you do follow Christ. But I don't want you to say it right now because I don't know how much we've really thought about what it means to be a servant of Jesus. It's interesting, if, if you're newer to, to Christianity and you're trying to figure out what it means and you're kind of kicking the tires, the Bible's divided in, into two different sections and, and the, the second section is called the New Testament. It's really the story of when Jesus came and his life on earth and, the new, and when the church got started. And, and there's these guys that lived and saw Jesus and they wrote letters and, then, uh, and, and that's what we have is this record. And it's interesting, if you go read these letters that God gave these words and these messages, these start off, it's so fascinating, how many of them start off with this? So John, he wrote this letter about, to the churches and about the end times and he opens the letter, he says, John, I introduce this as, I'm John, and I'm a servant of Jesus, Revelation 1.1. Peter wrote in his second letter, first verse of it, I'm a servant of Jesus. Jude wrote his letter, really short, one page, first verse says, I'm a servant of Jesus. James wrote his letter, first verse introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans. First verse introduces himself, first or second verse, rather, introduces himself, no, I think it's the first, as a servant of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul introduces himself to a church in Philippi, and he says, I'm a servant of Jesus. He introduces himself to the church in Galatia, and he says, I'm a servant of Jesus. He wrote to this guy named Titus, and he called himself a servant of Jesus. All the big guys, all the guys that started this thing, the men and women, they open their letters saying, I'm just a servant of Jesus. That's my identity. That's who I am. Paul wrote uh, in in that same letter to the church in Philippi, he wrote about a guy named Timothy and, and Epaphroditus, and he called them servants. In fact, he wrote in several different letters, they all did, not all, but in several different of these letters, they wrote about people, Christians, and they would call them servants of Christ. And it wasn't derogatory. It was like a highest compliment. It was like something to be proud of. What does that mean, servant, Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean what volunteer means. And think about that. Uh, forever. I have never thought about that, and I really have never actually been pushed to think about that until the last two or three years. And I think it was actually a conversation with Lynn, and Lynn brought it up, and he's like, I hate that word volunteer. And I'm like, what? what? And so we started talking, and that's what started these whole conversations about who we are. I never thought about it. But a servant is not a volunteer. A volunteer is not a servant. They're not the same. A volunteer 
can freely choose to come and go. A volunteer has no authority to really compel them to start, to stay, to retire. A volunteer can sacrifice. They can, they can put in and invest. I mean, we've seen volunteers. There's so many organizations where we see people really pouring into stuff, given, given some of the best energy they have, even laying down their lives when you think about volunteer fire departments. Uh, a volunteer firefighters, like you, you see that. But they're under no obligation to. They can be very dedicated, volunteers can be very dedicated people. But the center of their identity is the fact that they're in control of what they do and they get to choose the terms of when and how. It all plays out. Imagine someone who's a volunteer for an organization or for someone. They would never call the person they're under master. They would never feel obligated or under some compulsion to, to do something they really didn't want to do. They just wouldn't do it. But a servant, servant's way different. To understand servant, you have to go back 2,000 years, even 3,000, 3,500 years, and understand that culture and what servant meant to them. A servant was completely under the authority of their master. A A servant was expected to do whatever the master wished. Even Jesus told the story. He said, hey, look. A master and a servant are out working all day. The master doesn't come back and say, hey, servant, why don't you just go take it easy tonight? I'll cook my own meal. He says, no. No, the master gets home and fully expects the servant to keep on working and serve the master until the master is fed and taken care of, and then the servant can go get his own meal or her own meal and take rest for the evening. That's how it works. A servant lived to please his master or her master. And a servant would expect a part of this whole thing. Every, not even the servant, the master, the culture expected the servant would have to sacrifice. It's just what servants did. They didn't live for their own dreams. They just didn't. It was always for the master. Putting the desires and the will and the plan of the master ahead of themselves. The the idea, the concept of sacrifice is just inherent. It's implied. It's assumed. On the title screen, you you see different colors of drops up there, if you can. It's blood. It's sweat. It's tears. That's sacrificially serving. A volunteer may sacrifice, but ask a volunteer if they want to be a servant. And you will quickly understand they are not the same. Go to a servant and say, hey, how's it, how's it, what's it like to be a volunteer? They're going to go, what? What are you talking about? What a volunteer. I don't have any control over any of this. I'm just a servant. 
You know, in the Bible, you'll never find God calling any of his people volunteers. You do find him calling anyone who follows him a servant all over the place. And there's good servants, and there's wicked servants, but servants. No volunteers. There's servants who are lazy. There's servants who refuse to work. There is servants who refuse to sacrifice, to serve the plan, the wishes, who just rebel. There's this story of Jesus talking about this owner of a vineyard who sends his people in and the servants kill everyone he sends and he even sends his, or beats up everyone he sends and he sends his son and they kill him. The foreshadow of Christ. And, but he never called even those who were wicked volunteers, just wicked servants. So let's go back to the question of what gets in. What must get in if we're starting to look at returning back to life the way it was or whatever that looks like? Let's go back to the vow that we made or we might have made. I'm never going to do that again or I won't go back. I won't live that way again And let me ask you something. What version of Christianity are you living out when you think about that vow? Is is your version of Christianity one where you're a volunteer? Because if so, you can keep your vows. Is your version of Christianity where Jesus is your master and you are a servant? Then, Then your vows are coming between you and your master. If our identity is a servant, we've got a problem if we start making vows like that because we don't get to make vows like that. Because he says where to serve. He says when to serve. He has no problem calling us to sacrifice for him and I don't know if you understand this or I fully understand this as this is what we've been wrestling with, but he, he has no problem sending us to places and moments and to people and to ministries and saying, sacrifice for me. Give up that night. Give up those hours. Go to that group. Go to that person. Go pour out your heart. Go and get nothing back. Go and give your best energy, sacrifice, serve me. Serve me. Go. You're my servant. You know, it's interesting. Paul wrote about this idea this idea of sacrificially serving. And he said this in this letter to the church in Philippians after he'd introduced himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. He said, I want you guys to have this mindset, the same one that Jesus had. 
Philippians 2, verse 5, and these verses on, he says, Jesus, who, who though he was very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped for us as people. So he emptied himself, and he took the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of humanity, he found, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, Paul lays this out, Jesus himself became a servant, serving the will of the Father to the point of death. To bring glory to the Father. There's a point to it. It's not pointless sacrifice. There's a point to it. To glorify God. And we have this moment of clarity, this moment to choose over these next few months of not going back the way it was, which is probably good in some respects, but to also understand he never called us to serve a lot of the masters we were perhaps serving. And he's like, that's your idea. But now we have this moment of clarity to choose. And... You know, the last couple of weeks, I'm reading through the Bible, so I'm in Exodus, and I came across this, this passage, and uh, I mean, I know I've read it before, but it's like what always happens, all of a sudden it jumps out at you, and, and I'm reading this, and it's, Exodus is the story of, of Israel being formalized as a nation, and God gives the famous Ten Commandments, and he gives all these laws for how Israel should function as a nation, how they should worship him, all, all kinds of different things going on at the same time, but one of the things is he's starting to talk about how to function as a nation. Chapter 21 of Exodus deals with servants, and it's interesting when you read through that, you see servants to God. These people had dignity. They were made in his image. And there's this protection that he puts over servants. And in fact, he said, no one should be a servant longer than six years. At the end of six years, they're free. It was just so different than what we might think of as servants or even using the word slavery. That is nothing like what that word was to them and how God saw that playing out. But he said, in 21, there's this fascinating thing where he says at the end of six years... A servant can be set free or a servant can continue to be with the master. Listen to this, Exodus chapter 21, verse 5, it says, But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children and I will not go free. And then his master shall bring him to God. This is before God, right? And he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be a slave forever. So there's this reality that, that there, are, there were servants, there were people there that 
had been under a good master, obviously. They want to stay there. And the master was providing food and shelter and purpose and protection and looking out for them. And they, uh, you know, the, the husband, the, the home, the wife, they're looking at this going, we are better off under this man serving this man and this woman, this house, than we are by ourselves. We can't do that on our own. We want to be under this master. And so they would take a walk before God, right, over to a doorpost and with a mallet, some kind of a hammer mallet, and a kind of a pointy cone kind of thing that would pierce their ear and all, right, they would hammer and all through the earlobe. And that person would be the servant of that master and the home the rest of their lives. And you're thinking, oh, what? So contrary to our culture, isn't it? Like, it is so not American culture. A servant. He wasn't called a volunteer the rest of his life. You know, as you and I look at the days ahead, and if we make our decisions as a volunteer, we will never live up to our identity and who God calls us to be and who we are in Christ as servants. See, if we're a servant, though, if we live in our identity as servants of Christ, servants live to please, servants live to sacrifice, to do whatever the master would want. And we don't just have a good master, we have the best. We have God who is perfect in all ways, who has our interests in mind, our best interests in mind. And when we, when we have said, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, my master, we effectively went over to the door, each and every one of us, and we said, for life, and he nailed that, that all. He pierced our ear. We walk around with this. And everyone knows we serve Christ. So with that in mind, would you be willing to say, I'm a servant of Christ. No emotion in this thing. Counting the cost and realizing that's my identity and maybe taking it up for the first time. So I invite you where you are. You say it out loud. You just tell him, I'm your servant. I'm a servant of Jesus. You can do that. As these days come, these months of the summer, and we look to the fall, here's your assignment. Ask your master what gets in. Ask him what must get in. 
what gets back in, where do I serve? He's really good at that. Far better than me or anyone else. The Lord will let you know. So today, I want to end with a story. Um, this will be fun. This will be good. Um, a story on, on someone in our church, a couple in our church, that I would say embody what it means to be sacrificial servants. And I want to tell the story, to, one, to honor them, because in honoring them, it honors those who serve. To recognize them means we're recognizing anyone who serves. And uh, so, Lanny and Karen, can you guys come up? Way in the back. Lanny and Karen are no longer 21 years old. So, I've asked them to come up. I want to share a little bit about Karen and just what I've seen with Karen and then share some things about Lanny. They get a mic for them. So if you haven't met Lanny and Karen, this is Lanny and Karen Jones. Everybody say hi, Lanny and Karen. So you guys have been part of Freshwater for how long? Since I was three, do I have to say how old? No, no, you can just say since you were three. Since you were three years old. Three years old when I first came, and I've never left. And your uncle was a pastor? He was. That's why we got here. Um, My father came home from the service. We lived in Pennsylvania, and where we lived had no grass. And when uh, my uncle was called to be pastor here, my father, we followed him. So we've been CMAers for a long time. A long time. Mm-hmm. Lanny, when did you start coming? Uh, when I was 14. When you were 14. Yeah. You and the clan, right? Yeah, there were eight kids in our family. I'm the oldest of the age, seven boys and one girl. But we had been worshiping in a small church. And many of you may not remember this, but the Ladrack Shoe Store downtown, we served, we went upstairs. And there was probably 20 of us, 25 on a good Sunday, but uh, very unique growing up that way. Yeah. So, so uh, just a bit of history, uh, Karen's uncle is one of the guys out there on the pictures on the wall, uh, Neil Phi. So if you go out there, you'll see his picture. But um, a couple of things that I just uh, wanted to share um, about Karen. Um, so I've been here, what, almost 19 years, something like that. And uh, if, if you don't know Karen I mean, and Lanny, they've obviously a huge part of this church, huge part, and uh, they've served in so many different ways more recently in the last few years, five, six years, I think, something like that. Karen's been involved um, with a ministry that helps people who've, who've really gone through some significant trauma and just walks alongside and uh, pours out love and grace into people. Um, and the Holy Spirit uses her and those who are part of that ministry in powerful ways. Um, and it's a sacrificial thing it, because it is, it is not easy. It's not clean. It's not on a schedule sometimes. It's when people are broken and need a voice and need someone. You just don't schedule 
these things. And um, I have watched her pour out her heart and her energy, her best into people. And uh, more recently, her mom uh, came to live with them, and you guys walked through that journey um, so beautifully. Uh, when our culture says, no, now is the time for you at this age, now is the time to just kick back, it's like you kicked it in. And, and God said no, and uh, brought, brought your mom to your home, brought people into your home, and, and you said yes. Um, he said, take care of my children, and you said yes. And uh, if you know Karen, she has just done this with such a beauty and such a grace. And um, I'm, I'm going to try not to. I, I won't look really at you guys at all. Um, uh, just one of the heroes of our church. Um, so. I, I just say, you know, the, 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 the kickback, what you receive overshadows any cost that comes from being a servant. You all know this. You're all servants. I just have done it a longer time because I'm old. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But God has returned to me, to us, in blessing and watching him and in the intimacy with him, there's no comparison. So I, I just feel awkward up here being presented as this servant when I know all of you are to a lot of different extents. You just haven't been at it as long. So um, it, it's been a joy. It has. Good. But you're still going to have to go through it. <laughs> okay. We're not going to let you off. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Uh, Lanny is, um, Lanny was on the older board when I came here. Um, it's his fault, part of his fault I'm here. Um, you guys said yes, but... Uh, I, I, I need to comment on that. Uh, <laughs> there was, we had about five or six resumes in front of us on a table, and I remember looking at all of them, and I came to this one from Montana, I thought, well, that's kind of different. Uh, we don't get many candidates from Montana that want to come to Ohio. And uh, looked at it, and I said, well, Lord, this man is awful young. And uh, if that's what, but then the Lord said, well, let me tell you, uh, a child shall lead them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's how and I felt right away when I wrecked you resume pastor that that's you were the man for us it's so. a good match good match so anyway turn off at lanny's mic now <laughs> but uh you know lanny has served as an elder but uh he was also part of the um the three amigos i called them uh jim um dave walters um jim wilson yeah uh, these guys would prowl around the, the building and fixing things. Everything was always breaking in that old building. Everything was broken in that old building. And they were always there fixing it. And pretty soon we brought Lanny on. He's been, he was serving as our maintenance guy here the last 15 years. And uh, always knew it would be in a good laugh when those three guys showed up and started cutting up and... Um, but uh, what you don't know that Lanny has been, done, been doing these last 15 years, and it's Lanny and Karen, that's why we have both of them up here, is because 
what Lanny did as our maintenance guy is, uh, you guys don't know all the, the late night calls, our heat doesn't work, or during the day calls, or emergency calls of the heater's broken, the air conditioning's broken, this window got broken by that ministry, this, you know, there's some local miscreants up on the roof again, we don't know. Uh, that doesn't work, and Lanny, oh, the security's called again, oh no, the police are here, and Lanny's, Lanny was the guy that took a lot of these calls that nobody knows about, and, um, and then later on, uh, you know, Jim passed away, and uh, Lanny replaced him with some more questionable character <laughs> guys, Scott Adkins and Lynn Sr., and it got worse. So, <laughs> but guys who serve, guys who serve. But um, uh, what you also don't know is Lanny often wouldn't cash in for his vacation all these years. I, I, I don't know if you ever did or if you did, it was very few times. Lanny wouldn't report all the hours he worked because he wasn't working for the church. You said you weren't going to do this. <laughs> yeah, he didn't turn in all the receipts. And, and that's not just Lanny, that's Karen. That's both of them. That's just who they are. So, um, it, these past couple weeks, Lanny's, and uh, this past year, I think they've been talking about retirement, and Lanny came uh, to us here a week or two ago and said, I think it's time. I think it's time for me to resign. Retire, I should say. And, and so this all happened kind of quick and it dovetails with this message series and then they're going on vacation. And, and so we, we didn't have time enough with our, my vacation, everybody on vacation this past week to, to, get out, to get the gift that we want to give them in order, and that's gonna come, we'll, we'll get that to them, but um, we did wanna show them a, just a tiny gift here while they're up front, and uh, it's, it's just a small token. Um, but Karen, these are some flowers, saying thank you, and, and Lanny, um, there's a fresh, brand new John Deere hat. <laughs> so let's give it up to him, Karen.